Today we're going to come out of Luke 7, 36 through 48, while y'all are looking for that. It's a really familiar scripture. It, it, it goes well with communion. If you have been a body of this church for a while, we remember this scripture as being the woman anointing and some would say it was preparing the death of Jesus because he wouldn't be anointed and so on and so forth. God has shown us that through our pastor many times. But one of the things God has been dealing with me personally about for a while, this wasn't a yesterday situation or a last week situation, what he's been dealing with me about for a while is to know who God is so that I myself personally will be an acceptable reflection of God's love. I believe we're quick to understand that God died for us and he did all this stuff for us and glory be to God because he hung upon the cross for us. But I think the concept is a little out of place because he's still God. Even though he did it for us, we should be an acceptable reflection of God's love in all cases. To get to this understanding, there was a woman that was a sinner that understood it better than even the lawgivers. There was a woman that comprehended this even better than those that sat around the table and ate with him. So I must get a better understanding that even though he went to the cross, he was who he was before he went to the cross. And he's still worthy to be praised before he went to the cross. And this woman understood this. If we go to uh, Luke 7, 36 through 48, I'll read the scripture with you. Don't worry, I won't have you stand up in the hearing of the word. Or the, I don't really do that too often at all, matter of fact. Um, but it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. I think that's significant. The woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for, for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, how many sins, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. I believe when we realize who God is, it will cause such a humbling and submission to God in which the world could never comprehend. If we find ourselves like the woman that's a sinner, I don't think um, we can do all these Bible searches and try to figure out who the woman is. I think that's, a significant, that's insignificant to anything because it was still about Jesus. So let's, let's take out the point that it was even a woman. How about we look at the fact that it was you? that stood behind Jesus. Unfortunately, I ain't got no hair, but I would have done something else. If the woman could recognize that she was a sinner. So many of us consider a particular time as the most important time of our lives, such as when we marry the person that we love or when our children are born, we say that that is the most special time of our lives. And I'm not discrediting any of that, but I believe the most significant time of our lives is when we humble ourselves before our creator and realize just how holy he is. That is the most significant point in our lives because it leads to an eternal lifestyle. Everything passes in time. 
unless the Lord comes back frequently and come quickly, Lord. I will pass away in time, but my eternal value goes forever because I stood before a king and I humbled myself before him. Now, that woman understood that completely. What shocked me in the point was the fact that she stood there for a minute. It says that she heard that he was at a Pharisee's house, reclining at a table is what the ESV says. And she walked through the town to get to the Pharisee's house. When she gets there, she doesn't say anything to anybody. She stands there contemplating who God is. She stands there weeping before she makes another move, understanding that she was a sinner. When you look up the word sinner, it means um, homotolos, which that word basically means you are repetitive at what you do. It means you sin frequently. There is no pause in what you're doing. It becomes what you are. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. I give you an example of this. When you see a soldier walking down the street, you can see his particular uniform. And you can tell you're in the Army, you're in the Navy, you're in the Marines, and you're in the Air Force because they're what you are. No longer is your body separate from the clothes that you wear. So when the woman walked inside of the house, the Pharisee saw the clothes that she wore. The entire city, it says, understood that she was a sinner. So when you think that your dark stuff in the back, nobody else can see, they can really see it. They just haven't brought it up to you yet. If you think that you are sliding under the radar, they can really see it. They just haven't brought it up to you yet because it's, high, it's hard to hide the clothes that you're wearing when you're in public. She is a sinner, repeated, guaranteed to be doomed, no one was blind to the fact of what she did. We can come up with assumptions. Uh, was she a prostitute? It doesn't say. Was she um, uh, conniving? It doesn't say. But the truth of the matter is you are what you are. And what's also amazing about the fact is that it comes to a point where you have to understand that this thing becomes one with us. In the beginning of time, Adam saw his wife and he says, no longer are we two, but we are one. You cannot get rid of that thing. What's great about salvation is 
the word forgiven means you have been divorced from this thing that you were once one for, which we'll get to that part in a moment. But we find ourselves in one questionable standpoint of the Pharisee. Who was the Pharisee? What did he do? What does it mean to really be a Pharisee? The position of a Pharisee was higher than any other position you can consider yourself in. Um, the scribes, they were the priests. They stood inside of the synagogue and they gave the word of God. But the Pharisees were looked at in higher regard than even the priests or the scribes inside of the synagogue. Whatever the Pharisees may have said to the Jews, it even went beyond any emperor or ruler of the Jews. So if an emperor said a particular thing and a Pharisee would say something else, they would do exactly what that Pharisee said. So his perception of himself was distorted in who was sitting at the table eating with him. If we find ourselves doing the same thing, what do we do? Today we are in a self-absorbed community. Uh, what, what is that favorite radio station? Uh, W-I-I-F-M. Uh, what's in it for me? Um, don't you know who I am and what position I hold? How about uh, we go deeper into the household? Uh, I'm the man of this house. And you do what I say. What's in it for me is the whole key. Well, this Pharisee had the same perception. And he was blinded to the fact of who was sitting at the table with him. Are we any different? We invite Jesus over to our home to eat. And we sit him at the table and let him recline at the table. And we say, this is the best area that we may have. So sit here and eat with me. But the truth of the matter is, we're not willing to open the door, hand him the keys, and say, take us exactly where you want us to go, Lord. Because I don't want you to go into this dark room over here. Because that's the stuff that every time I enter that room, I fall down. I get bruised. I get hurt. That's the stuff that I deal with on the down low. That's a bad term nowadays for some people. Um... I don't want you to enter this room because it has obstacles. And every time I enter, I stumble and I fall. So I need you to sit in the nice area. But the truth of the matter is, if we just hand him the keys, he will walk into those dark places in our life and bring light to these things and ask a question to you, do you see 
what I see. This particular thing I need to fix out of your life. Do you see what I see? Because if we continue to hold that dark room, we'll leave ourselves in a constant circle of repetitive sin. Am I an acceptable reflection of God's love? I'll even show you another outfit that we wear that we call, um, I'm only doing this so I can get a paycheck type of moment. Um, and there's many levels of I'm only doing this so I can get a paycheck type of level. Um, you might be at work and things that they ask you to do seems to be out of the ordinary or what God would say is the right thing for you to do. But Lord, I'm only here to get a paycheck. Or how about, uh, I'm not eligible to say sugar daddy, so I say sugar mama. And I'm not, I'm only eligible to get a paycheck. He said that he'll pay the light bill. So I'll wear that coat for a minute. She said that she won't do it no more. So I'll wear that coat for a moment. Exactly what are we looking for when we see Christ? Are we willing to see and reveal the sinner? That is in us. Because if we don't reveal the fact that we are sinners, we can't see God for being holy and righteous and worthy to be praised. Who are we in God's eyesight? Did he go to the cross and we worship him because he went to the cross and he died for our sins and he took all this abuse. What's wonderful about the passage, and, and I like Luke's version in 22 where he says, do this in remembrance of me. He did break the bread and it was for his body, but he says, do this in remembrance of me. Not for what I did for you in particular, but do it because I am that I am. Don't do it because I hung my head and I gave up the ghost. Do it because I am that I am. If we get past the point that he is exactly who he is, then the cross it's just a plus in our eyesight. He, we grasp on the, the entire theory, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amazing work of love for us. Amazing work of love for us. But the fault that we find in the scripture is we still think it's about us. And it's really about 
him. For God so loved, it was because he loved. It wasn't about Dayron. It wasn't about the fact that he formed me in my mother's womb and knew me. It, it had nothing to do with that. It was because he loved. If we stand up before or behind Jesus and the rest of the pointers who know us, our family who knows what we did, our friends who knows what we did, are we willing to see God for who he is? Stand behind him and go into sorrow and mourning because we are a sinner, a repetitive sinner, someone that's going to do it 10 minutes from now, sinner. Are we willing to stand up and say that I am a sinner. One of our, I won't go too far, Eddie. I'm just go to the steps right here. I know how that works. One of the greatest moments of our lives is understanding who God is and the privilege that we get to say his name. The privilege that we get to say his name. How many people do you know reject the fact that there is a God? I have a family member that says, I'm not for sure if there's a God or not. But the mercies that are given to us is the fact that he let himself known to us when we had no right to know who he is. We fall on a daily basis. Is our rejection the same as Adam? Adam fell and he got kicked out immediately. We fell right before we came to church and he walked with us all the way here. Adam fell so quickly that even the angels were blinded in his eyesight. But by the end of the week, you're guaranteed to see God do something in your life. But we're going to fall. How wonderful it is to stand in the presence of a most high God. Am I an acceptable reflection of God's love? When I get on my wife's nerves, because you never get on my nerves. I got you. When I get on my wife's nerves, am I a reflectable reflection of God's love? When our children does something just outrageous in our eyesight, that was less than what we did. Are we a reflection of God's love? Or is our first response, I'm only telling you because I've already been down that road. But the point of the matter is, we went a little bit further down that road than they did. 
Are we a reflection of God's love? When I understand who God is, does it change us completely? Do we sin throughout the day and at night we sleep comfortably as though nothing happened? We get up in the morning, we cut on Kirk Franklin, and we praise and we praise and we praise. And that child break that plate and you put it on pause. Are we a reflection of God's love? Do we get up in the morning and we hear B.B. and C.C. whining, talking about the love that we have for one another that God had given us? And then it turns around and you notice that $150 is gone out of the bank account that we didn't understand was supposed to be leaving and nobody talked about that and then we pause BB and CC whining for a minute and, and say my mama told me that you weren't right for me are we the reflection of God's love I might be dealing with something myself for a minute. And then you sit up and you say, you ain't listening to me. You ain't responding to what I'm saying. Well, 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 I'm so tired of talking to myself. Are we a reflection of God's love? Because how many times have God talked to us? And when did he say, you ain't listening to me? You're not responding to what I'm saying. Instead, he sits back and he lets us coast through this thing called life. And then he says, uh, I'm here, baby. Get up. Listen to me. I can guide you. I can take you. And all your past junk, reveal it unto the world. And I will make it a blessing in your eyesight. One of the most transparent people that I know is Pastor Derek Washington. Transparent parent beyond anything that I can consider anybody ever doing. But God honored him so much for his transparency that all of the ups and downs that he goes through, he understands that it is a reflection of God's love. When I do those things that I ought not to do, and I do them yet and still, I am truly deserving of death. But I stand behind Jesus and I weep, and I have sorrow for what I've done. 
And then we take a moment to realize exactly who he is, just a moment. And if we find ourselves weeping and then we walk away, that's another issue. That's a, I'll be back in a minute, Lord, I got to go do me. But what was wonderful about this sinner is she reflected on who was before her. And not only did she pour out her emotional stuff upon his feet, the significance of the feet. Pastor spoke of standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. She must have realized that my filth is on his feet. If my filth is on his feet, the sorrow that I bear inside of me, I'll use to get it off. Are we willing to use the sorrow that we bear to get it off? Because we recognize we are before holiness and worthiness. We pour out our emotional part, repentive for what we do, understanding that we were created for more than that. Perception is everything. If you take a pen and you look at a pen, you know exactly what it does, how it works, you even know when it runs out of ink because you have the perception of what it was when it was created and the effect that it can cause if it runs out of ink. The problem is we don't have a perception of who God is because we constantly run out of ink. If we understood that the God of all creation loves us to the point of the cross, would I say what I say in the afternoon? Would I do what I do? Would I treat my spouse the way that I treat my spouse? Because I am not reflecting the love that I have. Would I treat my children the way I treat my children? How about we go a little bit closer? Would I act the way that I act when nobody else is looking, when nobody else can see me, not even my spouse, not even my friends, not my coworkers? Would I say the things I say? A pastor said once that if we do everything in the name of Jesus, would we do what we just did? If we do everything in the name of Jesus, would we say what we just said? 
Do we really understand who God is? Perception becomes our reality. The reality is we are supposed to be ambassadors to the living God. Am I truly an ambassador to the living God? Can if we cross over borders and we go to Mexico or Mexico, since I'm from Texas, I know how to say it correctly. From Mexico, and you walk into the presence of a place, they will know off the top that you are an American by the way that you walk, by the way that you talk, how your head is lifted high at all times. But if I am an ambassador of Jesus, when I walk into the room, do they recognize that you are an ambassador to Jesus? Or you look just like John? That's the question we have to deal with. We're standing in the presence of Jesus at all times? Are we sorrowful for what we do? And are we willing to get down and clean that stuff off of his feet so he can guide us to where we ought to go? Do we realize that we are forgiven? I like the point that he made when he said, one is forgiven little, and another is forgiven much. The little that you show me, you're forgiven. If you come before me and you say, I am a sinner, forgive me for what I am. I believe that God sent Jesus down to die for my sins. And he rose again on the third day. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And you believe this within your heart. You shall be saved. No question. Because I showed you that little bit. But the fact of the matter is God wants to see the much. Lord, I give you my finger, but I won't give you my mouth. Lord, I give you my arm, but I won't give you my head. How about this? Lord, I give you my soul, but I won't give you my heart. Lord, take me to a place in which that one fragment of hair that is still upon the top of my head belongs to you all the way down to the farthest skin under my feet I submit unto you O Lord and I submit to you wholly not because I am that I am it's because I remember that you are the I am that I am Now, 
one further action is guaranteed to happen when you kneel down and you clean off the dust. There was a second outpouring that the sinner did. She gave of herself the most prized possession that she had. It says that she anointed him with perfume. And uh, this wasn't that oily stuff either. Y'all know those people that walk around with that oily perfume, you know what I mean? Uh, oh, you oily. I don't do oily. Um, but that was the good stuff to where it would fragrant the entire room to cause somebody to say, that's expensive. That cost you something. It wasn't just the emotional outpouring, but it was the most prized possession that she had and anointed his feet with it. I love the way that the Holy Spirit guided her to just do his feet. Because if we clean the feet, it will lead us into the places that we ought to go. But if our feet stays dirty, it'll lead us right back to where we came from. I will give you the best of me, Lord, so that I can follow your trail significantly. There will not be another print on top of your print. So I clean your feet because I don't want to accidentally step into my own mess. Is the Lord only talking to me? I don't want to step even in my own mess. So the best part of me, I will use to clean your feet so you can guide me to the worst part of me so you can clean the rest. And each room you walk out of, Lord, don't worry. I still got a little more and I'll clean that part. And when you get to the heavy stuff, I will clean that part. How far are we willing to go to give of ourselves? That is the question at hand. I will give all my emotional stuff, but I won't give up this. I will repent and worship your name. But you got to let me hold on to this. I love cake. I love cake. I don't think y'all heard me. 
I love cake. Cake is good. It is a nice piece of bread with a whole bunch of creamy stuff on it. And the best cake is the ones that have the nice little design on it. You know what I mean? Like, like the extra little rolls with frosting that I know that's going to hurt my teeth, but I'm going to eat it. But if I continue to eat that cake every single day, every single day, it will cause an embodied reaction that will shorten my life. Guaranteed. Am I willing to sacrifice that? But I know one thing that we can eat every single day that will not shorten our lives. Not on a Sunday or a Wednesday afternoon or Monday Bible study every so often, but if I do it every single day, I'll finally be able to see who God is and be an acceptable reflection of him. Meditate on my word day and night so that it may not leave you. I'm not going to say that we're not going to sin. We're going to sin. By the end of the week, I pray that we say, I should have done what I did and thought about doing it in Jesus' name. And I wouldn't have done what I did if I would have known that I was doing it in Jesus' name. Are we willing to go beyond that point? Are we willing to stay the Pharisee? and reflect on who we are instead of what God is? Is God truly the greatest part of our lives? Do we submit to him in all things? Are we willing to give up the best of us? That doesn't necessarily mean a financial thing. That means that stuff you like a lot. Are you willing to give it up for his name's sake? Because the truth of the matter is, if you like it a lot, it's idolatry. If you love it so much that you're not willing to give it up, it's idolatry. It is a God in place of God. Am I an acceptable reflection of God? I like this cross because it teaches me it is not Jesus because we serve a risen Savior. He is no longer on the cross. But it shows the fact that 
I'm going to pin exactly on that cross where Jesus died for. If we take the concept of a piece of paper and take it as though it was 2,000 years ago, and it was that nail that pierced his hand. It was that nail that pierced his feet. If we take that note as for what it is, my sin against thee, O Lord, and I pin it to the cross and I recognize that that sin was the reason that you died for me for. Are we willing to write on that piece of note what we love so much. I am willing to write an entire essay to put on that cross because I have an essay that I need to put on there. Do you have something within yourself that you need to put on there? And when you do, there is one guaranteed phrase that Jesus said. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven.